this week we're talking about approach. Uh, and there's a lot of really important things to approach. It is, it is what we begin to measure and we begin to feel outside of just simply how we are growing. And it begins to ask the question, how are we growing in our approach with others? Uh, so really the, the baseline of what we're talking about today is there is an approach that Heavenly Father has with us. And, and, and the best thing we can do is to, is to grow from that approach, to say yes to that approach, to, to learn from it, to, to have things that should be broken, broken, to have things that should be pulled away, pulled away, and really to say yes to the fullness of Heavenly Father's approach with us. But there's a second layer to this thing that's, I believe, really important, and that is measuring, observing, and embracing the same approach he's had with us and then taking that approach and having it with others. It's almost like a secondary perspective of growing with God. Because he doesn't only grow us in a direct manner, he grows us father in and father through as it talks about in Ephesians 4. So he doesn't just grow us as a single entity separated from everything else, although he does, but the growth also goes in, hey, see how I have approached you. See how I have, see how he has forgiven us and then forgive others in a like manner. As it talks about in the Bible, if you don't forgive others your debts, then you are measuring out the, the forget. So this is how it works. As father forgives, you forgive. Father moves, you move. Father speaks, you speak. So it moves us to this place where we begin to ask these questions about, okay, in what ways do I approach others that it's really difficult for me to be like my heavenly father. And I, undoubtedly, it's gonna be different for each of us. Undoubtedly, we're gonna have our characters in our life, our family members that provoke us to not act like heavenly father. And we start getting the head stuff going. You know what I'm talking about? We start getting the fingers out and we start getting sometimes the fists up and we start getting the verbal sparring going. There's these moments where we recognize the different characters in our life and especially the characters that aren't like us. So how many of you guys know it's, it's easy for me to move towards something or someone that's like me? That doesn't take a lot of effort. You know what I mean? That doesn't take a lot of effort at all. You like folk music? Oh, oh that's cool. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I like folk music. You like, you like uh, I, I started to get into like real folk music at one point in my life and and I kind of moved away from like extreme folk like that. It gets kind of funky, Sufjan Stevens and such. It, it gets a little bit funky and hard to relate for some people, but it's easy and it was easy for me to like move towards people that like folk music. I was like, oh, let's talk about it. And then the, the folks that like country music, I was like, I really got to lean into this. You know what I mean? Because my natural instinct is to think like, what are we listening to right now? <laughs> And my wife loves country music. Uh, and so, but they, it's natural for me to move towards what's like me. And it's pretty natural for, for me and for us to be repelled and kind of move away and distance ourselves from the things that are unlike us. Especially those things that are different and contradictory or conflicting with us. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit today. We're going to unpack some things but I looked up, before we do this, I looked up some characters, some family characters that are classic media characters. And I, I looked at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and some of those characters there. You saw Will Smith's character. You saw Carlton, the character of Carlton and the way their personalities were. 
Uh, I looked at, I remembered the classic movie, The Godfather, and you saw Sonny, the, the eldest with a little bit of a temperament, uh, a little bit of a temper, I should say, and you saw Fredo, the middle child who uh, felt overlooked, and you saw that throughout the movies, and then you saw Michael, the youngest, the golden baby child, uh, and, uh, and you saw these, these places uh, and these types of personalities. And you can even see when you watch some of these movies and you consume some of this media, you can see the way there's a really big like yes or like uh, you're cheering on a character. And a lot of times you realize it's a character that you feel like really represents you. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. I looked at Downton Abbey, which I've only watched a few episodes with my wife. And like collectively, I've only watched about 10 minutes because I was asleep for the remainder of the time. Uh, not that I didn't like it. I, I really um, love my wife, but <laughs> but, I, but in, those, in those moments, I, I remember the character Lady Mary, who is the eldest daughter. Any Downton Abbey fans in here? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Anybody go see the movie when it came out in theaters? You didn't like indulging in that, that cash grab? Uh, so... <laughs> I, I looked at Lady Mary and just how, how she, she was and how she acted. And, and, and you see some of these characters. I, I remembered Home Improvement and Full House and some of these families. And, oh, I was going down memory lane, guys. I was like, wow, like all these characters. And I remember being drawn to some of them and being like repelled by others. Like just like a, uh, all the screen time they had. When I was just like, you know, like, let's, like, where's the, where's the characters that I really match? And, um, and now I can communicate that, but then it was just like, it was natural. You're just, you're just drawn to what you're like and repelled by what you're not like. And I, I see this, 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 these personalities things. I see these, these different kinds of tensions that exist between different people. And I recognize there's this, there's this real invitation by God, our Father, to have us lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and allow him to direct our path. And when I don't lean on my own understanding, it says that when I don't understand someone or have a natural affinity to them, there's not a match, we're not alike, that instead of leaning on and defining the status of our relationship based on what I know, I don't lean on that at all. And this is a really important deviating line, like a line where, I don't know if you remember Hook, but where uh, he drew the line. Do you remember this part in the movie? And Peter Pan, Robin Williams' character was on one side, and, and Ralphio, what, right? Ralph, Rufio. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite movies. Rufio was on the other line. All the lost boys were with Rufio. And then, uh, and then that one character went up to him. And then he pulled back the wrinkles on his face and he said, there you are, Peter. Do you remember this part in the movie? And, uh, and then he started saying, bang a right? And then they all came to his side. And then, did he fly at that point? This is a rabbit trail. But anyways, <laughs> I love the movie Hook. I just totally took the bait and I was like, yeah, let's talk about it for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> but there's these moments where like we have this line of understanding where God invites us to go, okay, this is where you live. You live on this side. You connect with and you build tribes of understanding and, and, and unlikeness on this side. And you build these, these places of strength and these places of camp and these places of business or church and such. But in terms of exercising the approach of Heavenly Father, 
It really does invite you and require you to move outside of your camp of understanding and to lean into the things you don't understand. To lean into possibly even the things you don't agree with to seek to understand the person behind the opinion or the personality trait that you really don't vibe with. I was at a wedding. I did a wedding on Friday morning, and then we had our Mountain Family Dinner on Friday night. So I officiated a wedding on, on Friday morning, and it was really, really great. Love partnering with people's journey like that. Uh, I was talking to this person in the banqueting hall. A bunch of us were there, and it was a young lady, and she was telling me about um, her journey a little bit. Um, just randomly, we were all talking, and she kind of started to say, and what she started to share with me, I found really interesting. She said, you know, I tried Christianity for several years and it, it, I really it didn't find it to be a match. I wasn't really into it. I'm an agnostic. And, uh, and, 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 but to be honest, if I did choose a religion, I feel like the religion that would most match me would be Buddhism. And I found it so interesting. Right when she said that kind of paradigm and that kind of idea, I was so curious and I was so interested. And so I asked her, I said, hey, listen, I, I'm really curious. That's really interesting what you said. Do you believe or feel like religion should match you as you currently are? Or should religion call you to change in some way? And I was mostly just curious. I really was. And I, I, took, I found that moment to not, not want to tell her what I believe the answer was which is, hey, look, you're looking for a relationship. But in that moment, I wasn't really interested, and I don't believe it's always the best to say, this is the answer, I've got the answer, because there's this dynamic of how Father approaches us in our lack. And there's this dynamic of how Heavenly Father approaches us in our weakness and in our brokenness that I believe it's really important for us to measure and identify and see. And here's what we know about Heavenly Father is He is always present, Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So here's what's important to notice about that simple observation about Heavenly Father's posture. That we are not like him in all ways yet. I have deficiencies, impurities, and a lack of holiness that is not in his makeup or composition. There are ways that you and I think that he doesn't think. There are ways that you and I uh, act that he doesn't act. And yet he is perpetually present. I find that so intriguing. I find it so intriguing because it seems to be so natural that in a place of difference, especially, especially offensive difference, that we naturally repel away. I find it really interesting that Heavenly Father's posture, even in a place of we don't think alike, we don't act alike, and I don't agree with you, that Heavenly Father's posture would say, Lean into it. Move towards that person rather than creating walls and or arguments that move you away from that person. And in that moment, there was two approaches that could have happened. One, I could have began to tell her what I thought the answers were. I could have began to essentially preach talk. <laughs> you ever preach talked and found yourself preach talking? Is you got a whole narrative and you're just downloading it in a very impersonal way? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you're just like, here's all the ways I think and believe, and whoo, you're going to get it. You're going to get the truth. I don't even know you, but you're going to hear the truth. 
And in that moment, I found it really interesting because I think when Father approaches us in a place of deception, I don't believe it's simply in ramming his version of truth down our throats. But there's something really accurate about God, and we're going to open up two scriptures. One's going to be Hebrews 12, and the other is going to be in Ephesians. There's something very accurate about how God approaches us that it never is exempt of truth, but it's always in love. And you know, we'll actually go there before we go to the other one. So if you turn to Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every which way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's so beautiful to see that there's this dynamic that Father has with us with one. It's always, always got truth in it. And it's always absolutely true. It's always absolutely accurate. It's always absolutely true. But, and there's a really big but on this for us because our truth when it is disconnected from love, is the errant approach. It is not like Father's approach, but that Father's approach always has truth and always has love. And how can we have an approach with people where it's always present, truth is always present? It's not placating, it's not back rubbing, it's not, hey, it's okay, it's all right, and just like, hey, just the way you are, it's fine. No, 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 it's designed for growth. When the two are present the way Father has intended them to be present, growth is taking place. But when one is present and the other is not, growth cannot take place the way Father's designed it. So how does truth and love relate to one another when it comes to a conversation like that? Well, one, what becomes really clear to me is that God, like a big old ding, 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 says, see her heart see her heart, and I had almost never even observed that somebody, like, she was trying to identify a relationship or a religion in the same manner that almost like you date. Like, ah, it wasn't quite a match. And, and I found it so interesting that, that, that we could think of a, relation, a religion and how we would choose it almost like a romantic dating scene. And all of a sudden in that moment, I felt like God was like, pulled me in pulled me in to say, look and see her heart. And that's why it led me to ask a question because I was curious. I was curious to learn more about her heart and the way she was. Because in Hebrews 12, it says something I find really, or 4.12, excuse me, it says something really profound. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give account. What's significant about this is that God's love is not ignorant or naive. He is fully aware. That language right there, I mean, how many of you guys, that makes you uncomfortable to think about that I'm naked and I'm exposed. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we talk about vulnerability in church uh, and, you know, we, we, we trumpet these things and sometimes these things can seem like they're foreign. They can seem like they're alien. Like, God, I, <laughs> I lay naked and I lay exposed <laughs> before you. 
Could you like imagine some people in your life that would never say that and then imagine them saying that? You know what I mean? Maybe it's the guy that you know that really loves God but isn't comfortable with like emotions. And just imagine him saying some of those things, you know, some of the prayers that Tana says. Imagine the toughest guy you know saying some of those prayers. You know what I mean? It's just it's such an interesting, like, right? Like, like, whoa, that's really crazy. Like, I am naked and I'm exposed before the Lord. Why does it have that language? Why does it create that symbolic dynamic between us and God? Because there's something powerful about when we recognize that we are deficient and fully exposed and yet fully loved, the true nature of Heavenly Father is revealed. So how does this show up in a relationship? Well, it shows up like this, is that exactly as you are, you are loved. And it takes a lot of effort for me to allow my heart to be transformed and shift to love somebody in the same manner that Father loves them. And far before I could deliver the truth that God has designed for me to deliver to them, I must find the love that Father has for them. If I feel, and I feel like the church and the Christians have a gift to give to the world, which would be truth, then what good is that gift if it's wrapped in feces? Or what good is that gift if it's wrapped in my fist, which punches them in the face? See, there's a reason that truth ought to be wrapped in love. Because when I give a gift to somebody, it ought to be wrapped in something pretty that my wife wraps, not me. Although she loves it when I wrap her Christmas gifts, I still don't know why. She thinks it's charming because it's like a hot mess. So I always try and wrap her Christmas presents, not put them in a bag, although that's so much easier. But I try and wrap it. And it's hilarious. Every year you'd think as being a somewhat intelligent person, I'm 31 years old with four kids, I would have figured out how to wrap a gift the way she does. I haven't. And I, I firmly believe that everyone can grow, but I think I can't in this area anymore. <laughs> I've just hit my lid and I'm forever gonna be like this. And No, but I, there's, there's this, man, we, we've gotta understand that we've gotta take these gifts which we possess We've got to take the things that we hold and that are right in the heart of God and understand it's not simply sufficient for us to know the truth of Father. It also requires us to carry the love of Father in order for that truth to be delivered effectively. When I asked my wife to marry me, I gave her a ring and it was in a box and had wood on top and wood on bottom. And when I asked her to marry, I asked her to marry me, we were sitting down and we were eating dinner and then I said, hey, I got to go to the restroom. And in the restroom, I had had somebody hide the ring box inside of the medicine cabinet. And so I took that ring and I put it in my uh, skin tight jeans because skinny jeans were really, really in then. I mean like skinny jeans. And when I put it in my pocket and then I went down and I sat next to her in the booth, I, I put my arm around her and I started to tell her like that, you know, I'm about to ask you to marry me speech. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Hey, like, you, you know, a year of the wind beneath my wings and just like, not quite that, but all those significant things, you know? 
And, you know, I'm really rocking it. I'm crushing the speech. And, uh, she, <laughs> and she's, you know, love it. And, and then I, I go to try and be as smooth as my speech was and pull the ring out of my pocket. But it's really hard to take something out of your pocket when they're skin tight and it's big. It's a ring box and it had wood on top so it was an extra big one. And so all of a sudden I start struggling to get it out of my pocket. So I've got my arm around her and I'm trying to straighten my leg in the booth. And I'm also trying to keep focus in my speech because I want to do it all at once, you know, and then have that button up line where then I'm like here and she didn't even know how it happened. But instead, the memory is that she recognized that I was awkward. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, she recognized I was fidgeting for something in my pocket, and she figured it out that I was going to ask her to marry me before I got on my knees. And, the, and it's those places you, I, but I gave her this gift in a manner that was matching the value of the gift. So if the truth is valuable and I give it in a wrapped up fist, it could be a million dollar gift certificate. It could be a, a voucher for a million dollars worth of stocks or whatever. It doesn't even matter. It could be very valuable. But if I punch them in the face, they have no reason to even explore what's in my hands. So why do we pause to go, tell me more about why you would choose Buddhism? I can almost guarantee you in that conversation relationship that there is a peace and a non-judgmentalism that she appreciates about the religion. So tell me this, does she want Buddhism or does she want to experience a God that loves her and unconditionally invites her to places of peace and rest and belonging without the strife of religious standard? Like, tell me this, does somebody, does somebody truly not want God who's an unconditionally loving father who's, who's, whose range of emotions and love is way beyond our understanding, our knowledge, is as far as the east is from the west is his love? Tell me, does somebody really not want that God in their life? No, what they don't want is the idea and the religious representation of that God. So what is that? That's just a disconnect. That's a misunderstanding. That's a miscommunication. That's a misreception. See the heart of the person. See where their heart's at. Go beyond the framework of what it appears to be. Break through the facade and seek to understand. Seek to see the heart and remedy the heart. A doctor doesn't very much focus on like, hey, I'm going to argue with you over whether that symptom is appropriate or not. Coughing is bad. And then I'm like, coughing's good. I like coughing. I cough. And he's like, no, coughing's, he's not going to argue with me. He's going to go, here, you've got this and you need this medicine. He's going to seek to heal me, not argue over the significance of a symptom. See, if we're, if we're talking about God's aim, it's to one, see really accurately. Not see naively or ignorantly, to see perfectly accurately. And it's possible to fully know and to fully love. It's possible to, to carry a truth that will be difficult for somebody to hear and do it in love that is felt, received, and heard. These things are so possible. These things can go side by side. 
I've had some of the most difficult conversations in discipleship with people that really required me to carry a really tough truth, a really tough truth in their life. And I've had these moments as a pastor, the other end of it being the most beautiful connections, being the most beautiful uh, journeying places of, of growth, because when I'm able to effectively find God's love for someone and then place the truth of God inside of that love, and I'm able to do that heart labor, it's able to have the impact that it says that that has, which is we are to grow in every which way who is the head into Christ. So why do we effort for truth in love to the fullest nature that Father delivers it? Because it is the ingredient, it is the approach that helps you and I become like Christ. How many of you have found that the hardest part of this is really the, that labor of love of your own heart? Is that, that thought process, that, that approach you have with people that is rooted in brokenness or anger or frustration that causes you to eliminate, alienate, or ostracize folks in your life? If we can observe those things, clearly identify them and go, wow, there is a way I think that causes me to treat or approach people like this. If we can observe and identify that, then we've just hit ground zero between us and the Lord. It no longer really is an issue about you and that person. It's now a, a, a discussion and a point of transformation between you and Heavenly Father which is to say, Father, I recognize that there are ideals and paradigms I have and I carry that cause me or give me permission to treat people like this, either in a destructive, hurtful manner or that give me permission to withhold good from them. That I'm not hating on my enemy, but I'm definitely not loving my enemy either. I'm just pretending like my enemy doesn't exist. You don't even exist to me. <laughs> you live over there, I live over here. And we'll be cool like that. So maybe it's not the presence of destructive behavior towards somebody that you're not tight with or that you don't find a likeness with. Maybe it's just that you're like, I'll just keep my good for me and those that are like me and those that I love and appreciate. And then you don't deserve my good. I can say these things because I get it. I can communicate like this because I felt it. And I'm not, I'm not a, none of us are exempt from that tempting feeling to go, mm -mm. No, 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 you're gonna treat me like that? You don't get any of my stuff. You don't get my prayers, you don't get my support, you don't get any of these things. You wanna act like that? You get what you, you, get what you deserve, bruh. <laughs> bruh. <laughs> you know that bro that's like, bruh. <laughs> it's like, bruh. <laughs> It's really close to bah, <laughs> distasteful. But there's hard things in approaching with people that are really difficult for us and that we've gotta, we've gotta reconcile how we're gonna approach these kinds of folks. And I wanna cover a few, of, a few items I believe are important in managing our approach with others. And the first one is immaturity. Immaturity is incredibly difficult to manage at times Immaturity in folks is really hard to manage. It's hard to trust. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to relate to, especially if their immaturity lies in the exact same land as your maturity. 
And they're like your polar opposite Batman to Joker kind of a vibe. You know what I mean? You're immovable and then it's just unstoppable. And you're just like, we're going to forever fight over this thing and we're going to forever be at odds. It's, it's that place where when your maturity is in a certain spot and your immaturity in a relationship is in that same spot. I find these places to be incredibly challenging, but incredibly important for us in a place of truth and maturity to recognize what happens to us and how to move towards people's immaturity rather than being repelled by their immaturity. Um, my kids, they, uh, they're, 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 they're beautiful, wonderful, but they're five, three, two, and five months, four and change. I don't do weeks. I just do four-ish, five-ish. You know what I mean? That's four kids in, even one, even Brixton. I was like, yeah, he's, he's like right around a half a year. Uh, <laughs> he's like three months. <laughs> but in my kids right now, there's things that they're not mature in yet. And each phase of life has these places that they're not quite mature. They don't know what hot means. They don't know that that's a cliff. It's bad. They don't know... You know, I was, out, uh, I was out dirt biking with the Carltons yesterday and, and Brixton wanted to try the dirt bike. Uh, and it was a little kid dirt bike. And so, so Kevin and I, we were close to him because we knew that he didn't have the maturity to do that in a way that wouldn't either be hurtful to himself or everything around, <laughs> right? And the same thing happens, honestly, even when I was on the dirt bike, you know, Kevin had to be close to me. <laughs> Because I'm maybe emotionally mature and spiritually mature, but on a dirt bike, I'm not mature. Yeah, we were both when I went to do a ride together and on the dirt bikes, and uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, Kevin takes off, and about five minutes later, he returns because I still hadn't taken off yet. <laughs> I was still working out my faith, you know what I mean? Like, I was still working out the skill set of, of understanding and remembering. And so I just kept on letting go of the clutch too soon and not picking it up with the gas. So I'd stall out every time, you know? And it just stall and stall and stall. And so I, but there wasn't a maturity there. And I'll say this is the last thing that I want Kevin, the mature dirt biker to do, is to not be present and or close to me teaching me what to do. The worst thing we could do with the immature is to separate our maturity from them because of offense and or difference. In fact, what God's design is in community is for us to recognize it, see it and go healer, deliverer moment, repair moment, reconciliation, ministry of reconciliation moment. I'm moving in and I'm moving towards them. This is how the broken, lost, and the, the folks in bondage begin to trust us is we see them in those places and we don't disqualify them, judge them, or define them based on their current places of brokenness. If you see someone in shackles and you call them a slave, you've just reinforced the concept and identity of where they currently are. When you're taking your maturity and you're approaching someone's immaturity or their, their chains and their bondage, if you're approaching them in the manner that Father does, you move towards liberating them. You move towards calling a different identity out of them. You move towards them so you can partner in their healing, their reconciliation, and their repair. But oftentimes we argue about whether or not chains are chains. 
and we have theological debates and doctrinal debates. No, 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 that's a chain. No, 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 that's not a chain. That's who I, no, look, look. We can argue about the state of our brokenness or the state of the lost, and we can argue between the lost and the found or the broken and the seemingly repaired or healed, but all of that is for naught because the entire design for us is to understand that we know the truth of who God is and how do we create bridges so that we can bring those that are in bondage to the places of healing in the same manner that we have experienced in our life. And also recognizing there's places of immaturity that still exist inside of me. That father still approaches me with an incredible amount of patience on, with an incredible amount of love on. And he never deviates in his posture. He never deviates in his connected places. He doesn't breach connection to motivate me to come get him and entice me away from that place. He stays present. He stays loving. He stays full of grace. He stays full of mercy. That if you remove love to incentivize somebody to move from that place of brokenness, you've altered your approach and it no longer matches the Father's heart. When you apply fear to motivate so that they'll get to a place of godliness, you just lost the in love part of truth. You may be so right. You may be so right that that motivation might actually cause them to take their chains off and walk towards you. But if it's done in fear, you're simply handing them another set of chains and shackles. Saying, hey, trade your shackles for these fear shackles. Trade your your pain that you currently have now for this this tormenting pain of fear. These These are the places of our approach with people that we have this, honestly, I believe it's a sacred trust. Uh, the, the Bible talks about it as a ministry of reconciliation. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We've been given this, this motive and this initiative to move towards people to partner with their reconciliation between them and God. And I find it so important that it's not in, it's not, they're not being reconciled to the way we understand God. But they're being reconciled to God. See, our understanding is finite and it's limited. But really, truthfully and hopefully, that when I'm partnering with somebody on a journey towards Christ, as it talks about, that we are growing every which way into he who is the head into Christ, it's not like, hey, come here to my ideals, to my sentiments, to my understanding. It's, hey, come with me. Come with me. I might know some of the way for you to go towards him. I don't know all the ways that God is going to cultivate a way in you. I don't have all the maturities that you're going to actually accumulate. And actually at some point, maybe even right now, there's going to be a way you know that's going to be important for me to learn and grow from. There's going to be an understanding, there's going to be a gift, there's going to be a grace that you have that's going to be so important that I'm not leaning on my own understanding, but I'm acknowledging God, and I'm acknowledging God's way in you, and I'm allowing it to direct my path. See, this really does begin to define our approach. The way we see people and the way we speak to people begins to change. It's not based on understanding. It's not rallied to common understanding. But in fact, 
it is declining connection that is defined by understanding. And all of a sudden, connection goes deeper than just the way I understand myself in life and the way you understand yourself in life. This is why for us to understand who we are and to stay there, it's really tough. Because we become really good at camping with others that have a similar conclusion. And we become reinforced in our way of understanding. And if we're not careful, it begins to alienate those that are not like us in their understanding. There is an absolute truth. I'm not talking about moral ambiguity or any of that kind of stuff. God is holy and he calls us to be holy. This, this much is for sure and for true and for certain. And that there is an absolute true right way in God. I'm not talking about moral ambiguity. I'm talking about how we approach people in a place of wrongness. How we approach people in a place of immaturity. And when I, when I talked to that girl that was like, I think Buddhism. So I recognize a place of immaturity. I recognize a place perhaps of lack. And then how do I respond? How do I respond in a way that I identify the love of Father for that person, whoever they may be? How do I find that love? And then how do I identify exactly what wisdom is leading me to say and do for that person? Because how many of you guys know there's a whole lot of truth that can be spoken? But wisdom isn't just the truth. It's the truth appropriately applied, appropriately applied in timing, in tone, and definitely in love. But wisdom isn't just having the right answer. It's having the right answer at the right time and in the right manner. Have you ever heard somebody say it and then say, I told you so? <laughs> That's truth like a hammer. <laughs> it's, it's truth that makes me feel better. Like, I told you guys so what was going to happen. <laughs> It's those, it's those places, but you see it's a personal issue there. It's a, it's a personal thing between the Father and I. We're not, we're not talking about what the issue is any longer. What we're trying to do is we're trying to die to the way we think so we can love the way Father loves. I believe that a huge part of this is, is how we build our expectations with people. You know, if you look at the way we relate to those that won't be able to deliver in the way we would expect them or want them to deliver, you can see that they're some of the most challenging places. In, in disciplining my kids, you know, when you expect a certain behavior and then it doesn't happen, and in fact it happens in the complete contrast, it can be some of the most challenging places. And in a relationship with people, and especially family members, readjusting our expectations is such a healthy thing to do. I had a counselor once ask me, he said, what do you expect of your father? What do you expect of your mother? What do you expect of your family? And it was a great question. I thought about it for like three months because when he said it, I was like, I have no idea. That's a great question. I know I expect things, but I've never even thought about it. I've never thought about what I expect. But as I began to unpack the things I've expected, it really showed and illuminated to me why I was disappointed or why I was so frustrated or why I was upset about things. It really began to illuminate to me. I wasn't capable of loving like father loved because I was expecting something of them in order for me to treat them in a certain way or to love them in a certain way. 
I believe we need to remove all expectations as a requirement of love. Every expectation blotted out, no need for any behavior for my love to move towards you. Now, there can be trust. So love should be defined by unconditional terms. And trust should be defined by wisdom. So you can fully love and discreetly trust. Trust with a discerning mind and heart and spirit. Trust, like Jesus said, I did not, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. Speaking of the Pharisees and Sadducees, there is an understanding that love ought to be delivered and labored for in heart unconditionally. But that trust is defined by wisdom. And when you begin to understand these two dynamics, you understand that God isn't, God isn't giving you permission to accumulate bitterness, resentment, and a history of somebody's wrongdoing in order for you to understand how to trust them or love them. But in fact, trust can be perfectly exercised by the standard of wisdom, which does not require that you violate the terms of love. Are you guys tracking with me? Wisdom is heavenly. Perfect love is heavenly. They're not in conflict with one another and both can reside and exercise themselves at the same time. I can love you fully and trust you partially. So a simple example of this and then we'll finish. So trust would look like in a place as a pastor, who gets the microphone? I don't trust everyone to carry the microphone and speak to all of you. There's, there's, a, there's a place of trust that's earned, observed, and partnered with in community so that those that stand here and represent this community would speak in a manner that was trustworthy to the terms that we have said, this is what we believe God to be in our lives. This is what we see in the word and this is what we believe in. This is what we love. This is what we cherish as, as valued standard and truth. Now, just because someone doesn't get to hold the microphone and, and preach, it doesn't mean that we have the absence of love, support, or encouragement, edification, exhortation for them. Does this make sense? Yeah. Same thing in your life. Not all are trusted to lead your kids. Not all are trusted or should be trusted to lead you. But all should be loved. And we should always take the impetus and we should always take the instigation in our heart that Father does with us to break the mold of hate, unforgiveness, and a lack of love and move towards God's loving nature for us and others.